God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Welcome back, everybody, to Family Discussion. Lisa, Merry Christmas. This is Christmas week. I'm excited. Are you? So tell me what Christmas is going to be for you. It's, it's going to be nice and quiet. Okay. Um, well, I mean, it's on a Sunday, so we'll, we will be attending service. Uh, we yeah. actually are just going to have one service instead of two. My husband and I are in the Advent Ensemble. So we have to sing, which means we have to be there early. Um, okay. So yes, looking looking forward to that. All right. And are you do you do Christmas Eve service as well in in your church? We do. Okay. We I do. did not. I didn't grow up going to church on Christmas Eve. This has been um, since actually since moving out to um, since moving out to Philadelphia first outside Philly when I was at Westminster for seminary. Um, that was the first time I started going to Christmas Eve service. Um, and I, I don't know if my church had Christmas Eve and our family just didn't go. I don't remember. Maybe, and you know what? This is entirely possible too. Maybe I went every year and just completely forgot, but I don't remember. <laughs> well, that's possible. But I don't remember going to Christmas Eve. Um, that's a somewhat uh, new thing for me, but I've, I've always enjoyed going to Christmas Eve. And then uh, my church has always held a Christmas Day service as well uh, up here in New York. Um, so we are, we're a multi-site church. We have uh, four different locations, and uh, but our main location has had, ever since I've been here, they've also had a Christmas Day service. So even if Christmas is on like a Thursday, there's a Christmas Day service. Um, and so I've gone to that regularly. It's it's caused our family to adjust our Christmas traditions a little bit, um, and, and that's been fine. So we actually, in our family, we do Christmas presents on Christmas Eve morning, um, and then Christmas Day is uh, we go to worship in the morning. We just chill all day. And then Boxing Day. So my mom, born and raised in Wales, um, I'm actually a uh, – I have dual citizenship, U.S. and, and the United Kingdom. Um, I did not know and so, that. Yeah. So we observe Boxing Day as well. And so um, we celebrate Boxing Day by making food. And uh, my, my, we also, we go somewhere for Christmas day and we have a meal and stuff like that. But on, on boxing day, I just make appetizers all day and we snack all day and it's a, it's a really good time. And so that's how we've adjusted in order to do worship on Christmas day, because it's uh it's a new tradition for us and the kids are warming up to it. <laughs> I'll be honest. It's, this is the first year where I haven't heard the oldest complaining about going to church on Christmas day and doing presents on Christmas Eve. Um, but it's it's a family tradition that my kids will grow up with that that'll be fun. So what's a fun family tradition for you guys? I mean, your your family is. Rel- I mean, how long have you guys been married now? Uh, almost four years. 
almost four years. So, so this is there will be a, our third Christmas. And, you know, as I mentioned. Is there a Spencer in, tradition? In a, as I mentioned in a previous um, episode, I think it was our last episode, that, you know, my husband has a large family and they like mm-hmm. getting together mm-hmm. for Thanksgiving. And I, you know, as crazy as it is, I like, you know, the, the big rambunctious, you know, um, somewhat chaotic uh, Thanksgivings. But let me tell you, on Christmas, I like it quiet. Okay. I like to right. laze around. And I anticipate after church, I'll be slipping into some leggings and just lounging. Not doing go. the thing, reading much. Oh, I do, I will be cooking, which, you know, it's kind of a rub because it's the Lord's Day, right? And I normally yeah. do not cook. It's the Sabbath, oh, right? I normally yeah. don't cook, but I have had a tradition of uh, making lamb. Um, oh, yum. All right. Every cr- roasted leg of lamb every Christmas. So um, other than that, man, I'm just I'm just going to. It's going to be low-key after church. It's, yeah, very low-key. Not doing much of anything. That is my plan. Okay. All right. Yeah, so it'll be low-key here, too. And, you know, Christmas Eve will have the added interesting uh, dynamic of having tons of football on. So I'll get Ah. to watch a little bit of football on Christmas Eve. I tend not to watch football on the Lord's Day. Um, What I do is – so I have – NFL Red Zone, which is a way to watch like the whole league all at once. I'm not going to bore our listeners with what that looks like, but um, I record the whole thing and then I record the Sunday night game. And I my Monday is then spent watching football all day because it's my day off. Kids go to school um, and I watch football all day. It's the and so I actually I I try not to know what happened in the NFL, um, and that way I get to watch like Sunday. My Monday becomes my NFL day which okay. is a ton of fun and it's it's a way for me to try and observe sabbath but also not give up this thing that I really really love um so anyway with with it happening on saturday now cuz the nfl moved all their games to christmas eve except for a couple so now i have to figure out how i'm going to do the nfl that weekend but that's all right we'll figure it out that's a different conversation um lisa you mentioned and i mentioned we're going to church on christmas which has become controversial um, and uh, because it seems that in evangelicalism, we don't know how to go more than five minutes without having a national freak out about something. Um, we are addicted to controversy. That's a conversation we can have another time of why we can't just stop being crazy about things. But it has become very controversial because... Um, there are a lot of churches that are closing on Christmas Day. This has caused controversy. Um, there are opinions about this. Um, the New York Times put out an article a couple days ago um, talking about people closing their churches on Christmas Day. And uh, Ruth Graham, whether you like her or not, she has, has a way of uh, writing pithy headlines and the headline actually made me chuckle a little bit. Oh, come all ye faithful, except when Christmas falls on a Sunday, which I that you know what, Ruth Graham, well done on the headline there. That was that was funny. Um, but it's it's an article about this tension that a lot of churches are dealing with of Christmas falling on the Lord's Day. Do we keep it open? Do we not? Um, now, I want to just say up front, everybody adjusts on Christmas. So even Lisa, you just mentioned 
No, you're not having two services. You're having one service. Um, you know, so churches are all making a calculus of how do we do a, a worship service on Christmas Sunday? Um, should we or not? It's a debate that's happened. Um, and Lisa, you mentioned, hey, let's talk about this on the podcast. So I want to I want to just, you know, hand it to you first. What was it about this conversation happening out in Twitter world that you're like, oh, we should we should chat about this, have a little family discussion about it. Right. Well, you know, to me, it it points to something bigger than just a decision to whether we open, you know, you know, whether pastors, you know, church leaders make the decision to open their doors or not. Um, In that what I've seen in the conversation um, is that the justification for closing on Christmas seems to be rooted in a lot of pragmatism. In other words, it's, you know, because it's Christmas. So one is, and, and particularly with um, with smaller churches, um, with church plants, um, there's the consideration of volunteers, of um, something that th- this article uh, brought up, which of course would, you know, fall across the spectrum in terms of church number size, and that is low attendance. Um, there are some that feel like it's, you know, it's Christmas, so you should be at home with your family. Um, and so all of the all of the decision making or the justification from what I've seen has to do with pragmatic concerns. And what's missing for me is what about the purpose of the church? Right? Because I don't see that. I don't see that anywhere. It's um, you know, there was this one article in the um, the Gospel Coalition, and, you know, they did a, a two-part. So one was in favor of keeping the doors open. The other one was, you know, why, you know, why we're canceling our, our service. And because, you know, he talked about um, being in New England, in Somerville, actually, and I, I used to work in Somerville when I lived in around the Boston area. I worked there for a few years. New England is a hard environment, you know, ministry-wise. It's a very secular environment. Um, and so it was, you know, the fact that you rent space, that, um, you know, there's Anyways, it, it really it, it it really came down to well we have these logistical challenges and so it's better for us just to cancel. And to me, what's concerning to me is that the, these decisions are are rooted in something that I, I think a trend that has been uh, something that has been in the fabric of American evangelicalism for quite some time. And that is what we've done with the doctrine of the church. Why do we gather on Sunday? Why do we gather? Why, you know, how should we be treating the Lord's day? Um, to me, that's the bigger concern. I, I think that's a great point. I think our ecclesiology um, will help dictate whether or not we're able to be open on a, on a Christmas day. So I think it is like, I, I want to be, gentle with uh, particularly my Baptist brothers and sisters who have a low ecclesiology, they may not feel the need as much to to have, like, 
I, I want to I want to under like we have a different ecclesiology. We're Presbyterians. Um, and it's interesting to me that in the New York Times article, um, you see that J.D. Greer, a Baptist, saying we're going to be closed on Christmas. Kevin DeYoung, a Presbyterian, saying we're going to be open on Christmas. So even like just our denominational distinctions matter. Our ecclesiology differences matter. And so there may be some who have a lower ecclesiology that just say we're going to stay closed because of these pragmatic considerations. And like I'm. I personally, I'm not going to throw stones at that. I disagree with it. I think we should be open. We uh, so um, I'm in in many ways a church planter. Um, where we're, we church plant differently, we plant locations that are tied to a central, larger church. So we're not a mother daughter church. Uh, but there's live preaching, live everything that you would need in a church. Same volunteer considerations. Same rent considerations. So I want to just say a couple things. First off, um, if you are renting space from somewhere that simply says our building is closed, nothing opens on Christmas Day, you didn't have a choice. And there are a lot of church planters out there who are in that situation who can't open even if they wanted to. And I want to just like, I get it. I'm not like I, I want to be considerate of why some people can't open. It's more nuanced than just, oh, there's some churches that are closing. Well, why are they closing? What are the considerations? Um, and I also think that uh, your denominational ecclesiology is going to bear on this. I mean, the highest ecclesiology maybe out there is the Catholic Church, who came out just very recently in the last couple of days and said, oh, we're open. And this ain't optional. Like, they, they, like, threw it down. But remember, like, their ecclesiology is even different than Lisa, yours, and I would be. Mm-hmm. Um, they can say things like, it's not optional, and it carries ecclesial weight. Whereas in Presbyterian circles, we hold the conscience to such a level that we can't mandate that somebody come. We can simply say, hey, we really think you should. Um, so, you know, in our church, we're going to have Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Um, we have, uh, it's a smaller church. We have different volunteers on each day who are going to be serving. Um, and we're able to make that happen. But our Christmas Eve service, like, don't get me wrong. We're gonna have a good time. We're going to have fun. We're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Our Christmas day service is going to be more chill. Um, I'm going to, we're doing it in a way that's going to need less volunteers. Um, I'm going to have less screens. You know, so we're, we're going to I'll be able to basically turn the sound system on myself and do it. I'll have a worship leader, but I gave him the option. I was like, you can if you, if you can't be here, I can lead worship like it's going to be more chill. It's going to be different. Um, but I one of my questions is not just ecclesi- it is ecclesiology, I guess. Christmas Eve service. Um, it is something that we've done for a long time. Having it's not the question. But I have two questions around Christmas Eve. First, if people are canceling a service, if they're choosing which one to ser- to, cl- to cancel, I guess I'm wondering why we didn't cancel Christmas Eve. Um, because Lord's Day worship is the normative practice of the church. Um, I, I just feel like if we're going to cancel one, cancel Christmas Eve, not Christmas Day. Like that would be and, – and I understand numbers are going to be lower. I understand that. But the purpose of the church is not about keeping the numbers up. The purpose of the church is worshiping the Lord. And, you know, I, I understand it's out of context. But the whole when two or three are gathered, the Lord is with us, like 
that's true on a Christmas morning service too then. Like, even if it's low numbers, let's worship together even if your numbers aren't that great. Um, a lot of churches, the numbers aren't that great and they're still faithfully doing it week to week um, and are just worshiping the Lord because that's the purpose. Um, but I also, uh, this, this, I, I don't want people to get me wrong. Great Commission matters, all right? I'm not trying to poo-poo the Great Commission. The purpose of the church is not evangelism, though. The purpose of the church is worship. The mission of the church is to make disciples. Evangelism is a part of that. But evangelism is a means to an end. Evangelism is to create worshipers. I, I also think an ecclesiology shift that's happened is that we've turned our church services into evangelism rallies. And, and that was one of the things that I heard in the article in the New York Times. A lot of churches are saying this is a great outreach opportunity to have a massive Christmas Eve service that requires tons and tons and tons of volunteers. And like, we, we just, we have to do this to do evangelism. And I'm going, yeah, but the purpose of a church service isn't evangelism. Uh, that's not why it exists. It, that's just not our reason for existence. Our reason for existence is worship. We evangelize in the hopes that people will join us in worshiping, but like the the audience of worship isn't the non-believer, it's the believer. And so I think there is a lot of ecclesiological questions that bubble to the surface that are much more interesting for me than whether or not a church in Tennessee closes their doors. Like I that's an advent of social media that I'm even aware that that the summit church is closing. Like I that I would not have had a clue growing up that there's this other church on the other side of the country closing their doors. And why would I care what a what a Southern Baptist church is doing in Tennessee when I'm in the EPC in New York? Like that's that's just social media being social media and creating hysteria. The deeper ecclesiology questions, those are ones that are very interesting to me. And so the purpose of church, the the spectacle of Christmas Eve, which seems strange, um, which we can get into in a moment. I don't know, Lisa. I just said a lot of things. I don't know if you had responses to any of yeah, that. Yeah, I, just... I mean, it, it's interesting. They, you know, when you talk about the purpose, because I think that that is a rub um, to the contemporary evangelical ear. But the reason for that is because this this is not something that popped up overnight, right? When you look at, you know, uh, how evangelistic rallies have been. Um, um, praised and um, encouraged, right? Um, and those have, and so those happen outside of the church, yes. But then there's this bleeding into um, the, you know. So we have it outside the church, so we need to have it inside the church, and therefore there's this bleeding of and confusion of the purpose of the church. And I think that you know, again, you talk about. Um, you know, denominational differences. And for, and for us, I think that's a very big one because when I look at the purpose of the church, it's, it's to, um, you know, to, to grow us up together in the head. It's recognizing the head and, you know, us finding our, our identity and our growth around that and with each other. That is that is what we need on the Lord's Day. And there's a reason that the Lord's Day is significant, rooted in, of course, the fourth commandment um, regarding the Sabbath, which is rooted in, you know, God's um, 
creative process, right? So he worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested, which is why when he gave the law, there was a command to rest on the seventh day. Now, Jesus' fulfillment of the law, and I know that there is some, you know, there are some difference. There are different interpretations of what that means, that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, that means that we don't have to worry about what we do on Sunday. And I think you and I, being Presbyterians, will say, no, actually, it does matter. And that's why the Lord's Day, it trumps holidays. Um, and so I would have to agree with you. I never, I, I haven't really given a lot of thought to the the issue of Christmas Eve versus Christmas, but I, I think I'd have to agree with you. If there's one service to cancel, cancel Christmas Eve or tone it down. Well, well that's my thing. Tone it down. Like, uh, so we've been doing this thing in our church where um, in Advent, our, our Advent series normally become a little bit more topical um, during the, the bulk of the you know, during common time, during the bulk of the year, we preach through books of the Bible. But then, uh, so we're in a Revelation series right now, but we took a break for Advent. And uh, for the last couple of years, what we've done is we have looked at the stories behind um, Christmas carols. And we've, um, you know, so, and we've mapped those on. So like this year, we were preaching through the Matthew uh, account of Jesus's birth. And um, we picked some Christmas carols like, hey, these are some interesting stories that map on. So we were in um, Matthew 2 this past weekend. And uh, and we were looking at the prophecy about Bethlehem. So we, the song in the background was O Little Town of Bethlehem. And what's fascinating about the the story behind this is the guy who wrote it, who was uh, considered, his name's Philip Brooks, considered one of like the great 19th century preachers, Anglican guy. Um, and what struck him about Bethlehem was just how small and quiet the town was when he was in Bethlehem on Christmas Eve in the 19th century. Um, and Bethlehem in the 19th century is different than Bethlehem in the 21st century. Bethlehem in the 21st century has grown a little bit because of tourism and all that. It's also um, in, in a Muslim center instead of a Jewish center now. Um, so things have changed in Bethlehem from when uh, Philip Brooks was there. But it hadn't changed a whole lot between the time that Philip Brooks was there and Jesus was actually born 1,800 years earlier. Like, it had not changed a whole lot. So he was struck by how small and how quiet it was. And that's when, when I hear about how big we go on Christmas Eve, I go, man, it was a quiet night. It was a woman in a, um, you know, she was actually, she was, she was in a house. She was most likely in um, a stall where you would keep sacrificial animals um, in a home. She's giving birth, which is a messy violent painful thing um a sacred thing like i if people who have been in a uh in a room with someone who's giving birth knows that suddenly there is like it gets quiet in there i was surprised by this when i was in um in a hospital with my wife giving birth how like nurses and doctors talk quietly through the whole thing it's very calm very quiet to not like keep the you know to not stress out the mom who's already going through some things, right? Um, so, like, it's a quiet yet painful night that brings forth the Messiah. It's stunning. It's why I love that, um, and I think a lot of these churches that go big, maybe they still do this, but, like, the quiet singing of Silent Night with, by Candlelight is a beautiful and 
to the service to just say, hey, this is, it, it, it provokes wonder and mystery. The silence matters. When we go huge and we need hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of volunteers to pull off our Christmas Eve, I'm just going, are we completely missing the the quietness of this day? Like if you're like, it's harder for me to criticize going huge on Easter because that is like literally an earth shattering thing, the resurrection, but Christmas day, or I mean, Christmas Eve is like, it's quiet. So I don't know. I just think that we've so overdone it on Christmas Eve in the hopes to attract people for evangelism's sake that we're so exhausted. We can't even fathom having church on the Lord's day, because here's the thing. The New York Times noticed because churches were canceling worship on Christmas Day. But for years, churches have been canceling worship on the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's. This isn't a new thing. This has been happening. And I think it betrays a, um, a, a cultural shift that's happened in the evangelical church where we have so over-prioritized evangelism that we've lost sight of worship and people, if you're too tired, if you are tiring your volunteers out, if your people are so exhausted that they can't come to church on December 29th, then you've done too much on December 24th. You just have. And I just think that that's something that we really need to consider. Like, it, we're getting too many of these other things we're giving them so much importance that we're losing sight of why we're there the family of god gets together to worship her king that's that's what we do every sunday and i don't know i i i think there's just a lot of other things going on the the canceling of church on the 25th for me is just a symptom of some other things that are happening that are much more um much more troublesome for me in the evangelical world and I do think this sounds maybe heretical, but I think that one of the biggest problems we have is we have too we have overemphasized evangelism. We have we have taken evangelism to be the main thing we do. That's why they are called evangelicals. That's not why we exist. We exist to worship, and the Great Commission is to make disciples who worship. Uh, and I don't know. I just think maybe we need to chill on the evangelism thing if it's going to get in the way of the worship thing. Uh, it just maybe maybe I'm wrecking in the other ditch, but I just I just want to pull the reins on that a little bit personally. Yeah, well, you know, don't you y'all be nice. Don't don't come after him now. <laughs> they can come after me. You know what I can do? You know what I can do if people come after me? Ignore them. I can ignore them. I'm gonna ignore them because I don't know you. I don't know you. Yeah, so come right. at me I if mean, you'd like. you know, it it you know, in all seriousness, right? What was Jesus' command? To go, therefore, and make disciples. Well, and that's a lifelong thing, right? Yeah. That's not a, and that's, evangelism is a mean to an end. It's a means to an end. And so I, yeah, I mean, we need to do evangelism. Like, like I said, I'm in a church plant situation, right? So um, one of the things I'm pressing on my folks is we are here on mission. Uh, in fact, what we call um, my little church plant is we call it a mission church. That's part of the, it's even part of the, the, the Presbyterian lingo. Before a church becomes what we call particularized, um, they are a mission church. Well, a mission church function is to evangelize a new community. So like evangelism really matters, but it's 
the, it's, it's a means to an end. It's to make disciples and disciples worship. That's part of the definition of being a disciple. So I, I do think, though, that by bringing the production value down on Christmas Eve, it leads us to an, a, a, another question that I have about churches. I believe in doing things excellently. I do. I believe in um, I believe in a paid clergy. I believe in um, I, I believe that if you're able, paying worship leaders, paying children's directors, paying these folks to be full time, I love it. Do it. That's great. But I have a question. I wonder if you because you've had a a broad church experience like I have. Um. In other traditions, I'm thinking specifically of the, the more Pentecostal charismatic tradition. Um, do we see the production value in the same way as we do in evangelical churches? Like production value week to week on Sunday Sometimes, like, you're talking light shows, you're talking, like, it's almost like they saw a Billy Graham crusade and say, let's just do that every single week, you know, or they went to a, somebody went to a U2 concert and was just like, we're going to reproduce that on Sunday mornings. Um, outside of our tradition, so I know our tradition, um, which is ordinarily much more, like, word-centered, production values maybe aren't as important. Um, the evangelical churches that I've been in, production values are everything. I'm curious about the charismatic movement. Is okay. that like the production value lifted up at that level? Yes, and it's and 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 here's the difference though. It's a, it's really more about experience, right? And so that's why that's where you'll find more of an emphasis on the music. Um, in fact, our, my last um, charismatic church that I was a part of that I ran away from in 2006 when I started getting clarity about, um, you know, some of the doctrine and, and how I was reading or rather misreading the Bible because I was reading it in very, in very, in, in a very fragmented way. Um, there was, there was a, a very big emphasis on creating that atmosphere and you create it pre predominantly through music. And so the pastor had a thing about bringing that excellence um, into the music. Now, I don't know why I was the keyboard player, but anyways, um, but, you know, but it, it was, you know, like you, you didn't want to, you know, you didn't want to be dusty. Um, it's, you know, because this is what is going to foster, it's going to encourage um, and provoke worship. Okay. I, I, I thought that was the case. I just wanted to, I wanted to ask because, yeah, I think it was in our last episode we were talking about dispensationalism, right? And the way that dispensationalism mm -hmm. has really shaped the evangelical world. I think that the charismatic has, movement has really shaped the evangelical world in this way as well. Um, because pastors and leaders who would say it's not about the experience put a ton of money and time into the experience. Um and so I wonder if, if the, because I get it in a charismatic service. I get it because of charismatic theology. It makes sense there. Um, and so, I, again, this is not to throw stones at the charismatic movement. Like, I, I'm saying I understand why they might move in this direction. Where I have more questions are people who would say they're not experience-based. 
going in that same direction. It's one of those, I think, unconscious things that we've developed because Christianity and evangelicalism is so, has been so thoroughly discipled by dispensationalism and the charismatic movement that the reason people go to church is for the production values nine times out of ten. They go mm -hmm. because the worship music is great or they go because of the quality of programming for kids. And that doesn't mean, therefore, our answer is bad music or bad children's programs. I'm just saying I think that these are more of the assumptions, underlying assumptions we need to question. Um, our ecclesiology, our, our practical living out of the faith in the church should come from a theological place. Our, the our theology should drive our practical considerations, our pragmatics. Um, and I wonder if some of our pragmatics are just what we've always done and haven't been questioned through a theological grid. Right. Um, why do we need production values? And here's the thing. I'm not just looking at the contemporary church. I'm looking at the church that makes sure they have a full orchestra every week. I'm looking at the church that's throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars into keeping up an organ. And I love an organ. But I'm just asking the question, where did we glean this from? Is it from the charismatic movement? Is it older than that? Are we looking back at, um, you know, the days of big organs and classical music and cathedrals? Like, I just want to know where this emphasis on production value has come from. Um, is it just that we've taken the idea of perfection and run with it? Maybe. But I think... I just think there's a lot of underlying questions we haven't necessarily asked, or at least I haven't asked. I'm sure others have asked them. I don't right. think it's fair to say nobody's asked. I've not asked these, and I'm curious what people's answers might be. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, I think that that's a good consideration because when I look at, you know, the production values, for instance, you, you know, you talk about the Christmas Eve service. Um, and that, again, I, I see that as a symptom of the bigger issue of, how, you know, how, how do we measure success? How do we measure church success? How do we, how have we formed our churches um, to, you know, in concert with that, with that criteria, right? So that it's no longer about, you know, people that are growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's how, you know, what kind of programming do you have? How many seats do you fill? How good is your music? Um, how, how, and I would say to a extent, how good is the, you know, teaching? Are you, you know, are you drawing people um, in? And, you know, and the, and I have to question if that underlying, um, if that underlying premise is more rooted in, you know, in, in a business enterprise model than, ecclesiology you know scripturally informed ecclesiology yeah i mean it's and and it also i think you're right business uh work comes in that's a word that comes to mind um you know we are called to labor for the lord we're called to work for the lord ordinarily though that is within a discipleship context and and within a within an evangelism context right the fields are uh, are ripe for the harvest, but the workers are few, right? So there's a work uh, connotation there. But I think one of the things that happens when we so prioritize production is we turn church into a workplace for too many people. Um, you know, it's not a place of rest. It's not a place of worship. It's a place of work. 
um, and our volunteers are working hard, and everybody's working, 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 and I'm going, I, I get it. If if we have to have the production values, okay, but that is kind of an attractional thing where maybe we're putting evangelism above worship. I just these are a lot of questions. It's a business model thing, you say, but that you work in a business. That's it's a workplace. I don't know that a church is supposed to be a workplace. It's supposed to be a place of rest. I mean, so I, and I am. I'm, I'm tipping my hand. I'm very Presbyterian about this. Like, we go to the fourth commandment. You mentioned this earlier in the larger catechism, right? Um, if you, you know, what is the fourth commandment is question 115, and they just list out what it is. It's just that's Exodus written out for you. Um, how do we keep, if you jump down to 17, how do we keep the Sabbath or the Lord's Day holy? Because the way we understand it in Presbyterianism, Sabbath is rooted in creation, goes through the Ten Commandments or the Fourth Commandment, but then um, it's fulfilled in Christ, and so we commemorate the Lord's Day as our Sabbath because it's a resurrection celebration every Sunday. Um, and, and so we take Sabbath command, it becomes Lord's Day worship, that's just how our tradition has always approached it. And so what is, how do we keep it? And here's the answer that I just find helpful. Um, we keep the Sabbath or the Lord's Day holy by resting the whole day. Like that's how it starts. Not just from doing things that are inherently sinful at any time, but even from worldly affairs and recreations that are lawful on other days. And and this is where people always give an exception. Well, I believe I can play football or watch football. So, all right, fine. But but the principle here is pretty clear. Like the first thing, we keep the Sabbath of the Lord's Day holy by resting the whole day. When we serve in the church, it's supposed to be out of a rest disposition, not a work disposition. And when production and business and all these things are massive considerations, I'm asking the question of how does that not violate the rest principle? Worship and rest are coinciding because worship brings us into the heavenly of the heavenlies where we rest. That's our eternal rest, according to Hebrews. So I'm just like, I'm asking a ton of questions <laughs> about how we do Lord's Day worship that, that the... Um, this whole Christmas Day thing has brought up that I think is just revealing that a lot of us have missed the point. It's not supposed to be about production. It's supposed to be about rest. It's not supposed to be about working your volunteers into the ground. It's about joyful service. And if your volunteers are exhausting themselves, I don't know that they're resting. They're working. And we have to question this whole paradigm of what we've created that other churches haven't created. Like, you say what you want about the Catholic Church, or but I don't know the Anglicans. The, I mean, it's just it's it's the the closer you become in proximity to evangel evangelicalism, the more you lose sight. It seems of what we're trying to do. And I know that's a sweeping condemnation, and I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be sweeping, but like it really does. See, the closer you get to the evangelical world, the less you're able to do what the Sabbath is calling us to do, what the Lord's Day is calling us to do, which I just think we got to question this whole, I mean, I'm questioning the whole evangelical enterprise, but this is like Sunday morning is one of the reasons why I'm questioning that whole enterprise. Yeah, that's, uh, the, the, I think those are good questions. All right. So um, any last words for us, Lisa? Before no, we, I uh... just, you know, I appreciate, um, um, because we're, we've been focused on Christmas, 
But we didn't talk about Advent, which of course is bigger than a day. And I have really appreciated, I, I, I so appreciate the Advent um, season. Of course, I, you know, I came up in churches that didn't, they either didn't do Advent or they didn't, you know, it just wasn't a big deal. And so to me, I find it very refreshing um, you know, to have that four-week focus. And this year, um, my church has done something a little different with the Advent um, weeks and that um, the focus has been on the offices of Christ and what he fulfilled. So prophet, priest, and king. And then this past Sunday was uh, Christ the new man, you know, the the sec- okay. you know the second Adam. Okay. Um, and so I really, I, I really, really loved that approach. Um, and man, does it just take you into, you know, the the right frame of mind by the time you even get to Christmas. Yeah, I, I, I think Advent's beautiful. I love Advent. I love, I love the pageantry around it. I like lighting the candles. Like I, I like this. I, all right, so. We've been picking on evangelicals. I just want to look at our uber reformed brethren over on the other side over here and just say, hey, if you're going to criticize us for celebrating Advent, um, just don't. Just don't. Just leave us alone. Like we're all, we're all trying to figure this out. Like I, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, it's a time to reflect on not just the first coming, but Advent is also about reflecting on his second coming when Christ returns right. and sets everything up, set, uh, sets everything right how how are you going to disparage that yeah there's people who say it violates the regulative principle which i think is absurd but, uh, yeah i know um, technicality and not the regulative principle i like the regulative principle well i have a love hate relationship with the regulative principle but the uh but to say that advent violates regulative principle is absolutely crazy and the three people who are listening who know what we're talking about really appreciate it that we even brought up the regulative principle no i i think advent's beautiful it is a focus on the second coming and that's what advent is all about it's about the collision of these two advents it's we, as we move towards the first advent and celebrating the birth of jesus christ we do so in anticipation it's a drama that we're living out again basically where that that drama of anticipating the coming of the messiah um that was experienced by those waiting for his birth we experience a version of that as we anticipate his second coming. And so we we just we live into that anticipation, into the waiting, into the to the angst of when is he coming to get us. Um, there's a lot beautiful about Advent. I love it. And and again, I think a lot of the heat coming from the Christmas Day fight is coming from corners that maybe don't observe Advent. And uh I just think that's something that we want to recapture. Advent is beautiful. Um, it's not it, like it's not original to the church. I don't. It's not even that old. Like in when it comes to church history, but it's it's beautiful. It's an innovation that I kind of like. It's it is yes. There's I hear this too. Well, the Catholics did it first. Okay, you're right. They did. It was cool. They don't. Just because a Catholic did it doesn't mean it's inherently wrong. <laughs> so, like, yes, they did it first. I'm glad they did because it's cool, and I'm glad that we have the freedom of conscience to borrow it and use it well. And uh, so Advent's been a beautiful season. We do, um, you know, we hope, peace, joy, love with the candles. I'm still waiting for someone to tell me why the joy candle is pink. I don't think anybody actually knows. Um, somebody was joking about how um, the guy who created Advent grabbed a bunch of candles but it was dark and so he thought the pink one was a purple one 
And by the time he got him up on the thing, it was too late. And he just went, all right, joy is pink. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I've never, I, I'm learning something <laughs> new right now. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think it was just a joke. I have no idea why um, the joy candle is pink. But it's a, it's a beautiful time. I hope that people do enjoy worship during this season. I hope they enjoy worship on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day because that's what it's about. It's about worship. And, you know, I, I encourage folks to try and be in worship on Christmas Day. I get it if you can't. Like, this isn't this isn't pharisaical. This isn't like, you know, we're, we're not the Catholic Church. We can't say this is mandatory. I just want to encourage people to not miss out on an opportunity to worship with the family of God on the day that we celebrate Christ's birth. Like, just don't miss the opportunity. It's, we don't have to go to church on Christmas Day, but maybe we should want to. If it's a place of rest and joy, maybe we should want to. And if people feel like they don't want to because it's so tiring, that's where I'm thinking maybe we've gotten something really wrong. What were you going to, you were going to, you open your mouth, people can't see this, you open your mouth to say something and I cut you off. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's, that's another aspect of this that I have, I have trouble with in that Christmas is about recognition of the incarnation. It's about God's condensation to us, right? God with us, Emmanuel. This is such a pivotal event in the Christian faith. How do you not want to, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, even if it's scaled down or modified, want to gather around that? And I'm not talking, I mean, forget about the, the big, you know, the production, Christmas Eve production. And it, the fact that it falls on the Lord's Day, to me, is a bonus. You know? Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. It it is, and and again, I just I also just want to acknowledge before we go how Western this conversation is, how um, comfortable this conversation is, because I we have the privilege of no fear when we go to worship. We have the privilege of being able to gather at a, you know, and, and, and we have the privilege of being able to say, I don't feel like it today. When we have family around the world who um, are, are literally dying to get to gather with the saints, you know, one of the things um, I did in sermon prep, I, I looked at some of the traditions of these different churches um, or different countries and how they celebrate Christmas. And it was kind of fun. But then I also looked, uh, looked something up that was very, um, humbling or sobering sobering is a better word for it and i just want to read some of these um in north korea it is uh celebrating christmas is banned i'm pulling this from open doors celebrating christmas is banned and instead uh citizens are instructed to celebrate the birth of kim jong-un's mother um Mm -hmm. who was born on christmas eve uh in saudi arabia 10 years ago in 2012 40 people were arrested for quote-unquote plotting to celebrate christmas not even doing it but they were arrested for planning to celebrate um in 2015 there was a kind of a widespread crackdown in some muslim countries about celebrating um so in somalia um they they just said outright all somalis are muslims there's no christian community here christmas is for christians and so it's illegal to celebrate christianity or celebrate christmas um in tajikistan 
Uh, they banned public celebrations. But this is the one that really just sat me back. In Brunei, this is in uh, Southeast Asia, um, celebrating Christmas can earn you up to five years in prison and a $20,000 fine. So I just want to acknowledge, as we close, the privilege of gathering with the people in Lord's Day worship. We have family who would love to have this debate, who would dream about being in a place where Christians are wondering whether or not we're going to get together. They risk years in prison for even celebrating the birth of our Lord. Um, and so I, I think that also should just bring a humility to us to say, man, if that's the case, uh, let's just let's celebrate that we can be together with our family. And just if we have the privilege of worshiping, let's do it. So I hope that people are able to do that on Christmas Day. Um, whether or not you're at Christmas Eve, enjoy that as well. And uh, we're not going to be back until the new year because um, we're taking we're taking Christmas Eve and Christmas Day off. So we'll be back in the new year with new episodes. But enjoy your Christmas. Merry Christmas to everyone. I hope you're in worship this weekend. That's it for Family Discussion. We'll see you in 2023. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion. <laughs>